Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. Uh, I'm so pleased to welcome Scotty Nell Hughes back to the show. The first time I met Scotty, she was the news director for the Tea Party News Network, and she graced our set on Current TV many times. Scotty, of course, has been a commentator for CNN and a host on RT America. She's the author of Roar, The New Conservative Woman Speaks Out. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you when we're in the same state. Hello, Scotty Nell Hughes. Hello, John Fugelsang. And I always give you credit for any sort of rise in power or fame or any sort of notoriety I've given. <laughs> <laughs> it is all on you. So all of you favorite progressive liberals, blame him. Yeah, I, that's okay. I'll, I'll, take all the, I'll take all the credit. Um, what brings you to New York? Well, you know, I've gotten to start to do these shows on this network called News Nation. I know mm-hmm. you're on there as well. I mean, I guess WGN got tired of playing uh, the Cubs baseball game and decided, hey, we're going to dive into politics, into news, and try to create a more balanced news network and I appreciate what they're doing and who they're bringing on so uh, getting to have some fun on you and I got reunited after so many years I know it was nice to be on TV with you yeah, after the pandemic it was actually you cut your hair you've, you're getting with the beard you let it grow back <laughs> I only had a beard once but uh, I, I've cut over a foot of hair off yes I've cut over 12 inches of hair off in the last year are you able to donate your hair to cancer like women can when we cut off that much hair yeah they, they rejected I went to locks of loathing and they said no they hated it so they wouldn't take it well, maybe you should have conditioned more. I know, it's I know, true. Split ends can ruin a whole, it, it, whole thing. Listen, I understand humidity in ways most men never will. Uh, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. But that brings us to kind of why I'm here is the fact that most people don't understand what the news business is like. And so I think News Nation is trying something new, uh, trying to really create more of a balanced look with the people that are coming. It's kind of like it's like the alumni of CNN, Fox, and MSNBC. Um, mm-hmm. They were kind of just sitting out there. They've kind of brought them back in. So I it's think actually that's true. Where you and I get brought back in as well. And every time I go on the show, I get to have a reunion from somebody 10 years ago. That's true. Well, some are welcome, some are not. It was very nice to have you uh, to be on a set with you again. Well, it is. It's always a lovely conversation. Sometimes you've made me cry. As they've, they've, When did I make you cry? You really didn't make me cry. I've always, I mean... I, you're, you were the one that taught me how to respect and have honest conversations with someone from the other side you didn't agree with. And that was from day one. You were my first show I ever went on in the network, on a network level, wow. which was current. Yeah. And you taught me with the guests you brought on, but also with yourself, how to be a host and truly have a fair and balanced conversation, even if you don't agree and you think the person on your show is batshit crazy. Or what was you? What would you call me? Ask a tea partier? Wasn't that what we you do, put Yeah, me on? what I did for folks <laughs> listening at home, I, I never had Scotty debate liberals or Democrats. I would have Scotty debate moderate Republicans. 
is. I always thought it was better TV. By the way, I also believe in having liberals debate moderate Democrats. I just think it makes much more interesting debates. Do they actually debate each other? Are are, are Democrats allowed? And this is a question we can get into because I'm having this right now with so many. The Republican Party is so divided. Yeah. Uh, extremely divided. It is either all or nothing with some of these groups that are involved. Are you able to have that within the Democrat Party? Are you able to have that divide? Is it happening behind closed doors and we don't see it? Well, first of all, there's no such thing as the Democrat Party. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Democratic Party is the name, um, as we know. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not a Democrat. I've never have been. But I find that um, for the past six years, the Democratic Party has done a pretty good job of getting rid of that whole Bernie Hillary civil war. I think Nancy Pelosi really brought the entire caucus together in ways that I didn't think was possible. I mean, you remember how much they all hated each other after Bernie and Hillary in 2016. And then Pelosi found a way to get like the left people and the Democratic socialists and the conservative Democrats from Texas who oppose abortion care and get them all on the same team for a few years. I think that's begun to fracture a bit, but I've gotten, it's been very strange watching how the parties have sort of switched places in terms of being in disarray. I mean, I I was fascinated by what was going on with the fight for speaker and how all 25 of the Republican representatives who voted against Jim Jordan because he had supported the insurrection voted for Mike Johnson. It sort of seems like it was more they didn't like Jim Jordan than it was about policy. Would that be fair to say? I think that is fair, but I think there's another element that we can get into and we can talk about. Uh, But to your point about Pelosi, I don't know if it necessarily I give the credit to Pelosi or I give the credit to Trump. When you have a villain to unite behind, it's it's amazing what happens when you have a common villain. It can bring all sorts of groups together. And I think that might be right there why you're also seeing that's continuing to stem on today, which goes to our House race. Um, There's not much difference between Jim Jordan, who the current speaker that was elected was, except he kind of he was someone that I would say more of the old guard had wanted all along. But here's what was interesting, what we were taking the bets on. They were not going to put somebody in the Speaker of the House that was not going to push forward Ukrainian funding for Ukraine because Jim Jordan had outright said, I will not support any more funding until mm-hmm. we have accountability for what is going on in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. At that point, we knew he was. there was no way they were going to elect him Speaker. And that's what I think was actually behind. No one will say it. I do. I say a lot of things that people won't say in the Republican Party. You do. Uh, but I think that's what it came down to, because now, all of a sudden, you have this brand new House Speaker who said that he would not support funding for Ukraine. He's changed his tone. He's now saying that he is going to support funding for Ukraine, but it has to be tied to funding and policy changes in the border policy here on the United States. Well, it was the IRS for most of this week. I mean, well, he was tying it to cutting the IRS funding, and, which, you know, once again, would hurt the actual deficit. Anytime you actually tie international policy with domestic policy, there should be lots of red flags going on. But I think the speaker is in a very difficult position now because he wants to satisfy the right wing of the party by having strings on Ukraine or by having strings against uh, the IRS being able to collect more taxes from rich people. At the same time, he's got to deliver a budget that will pass this Senate and will be signed by this White House. And I don't know how Mike Johnson is going to avoid the same problems Kevin McCarthy had. You can either take the blame for a government shutdown, and I do think Mike Johnson would take the blame if it were to happen, or you risk enraging the Marjorie Taylor Gates wing of your party. Well, she was kicked out of the Freedom Caucus, and she's not happy about that yeah, today. She's she's going on her, her normal daily daily rant. Uh, I think it's more about the military industrial complex has such a strong hold on the neocons and neoconservatives that exist within the Republican Party. Always has, and always has. You know, I never thought, John, that I would find myself 
as a hippie, one of those peace-loving, and, and more from the fact that Republicans and conservatives would be seen as someone that we need to be anti-war. I never thought I would be that person. All of a sudden, and maybe it has to do with my child uh, getting to be 16 and getting closer to that age, age of 18. And by the time my daughter reaches 18, she might also have to sign up for, for selective service. I've never thought I would become that person. And now it's, why are you going to send my child, or more importantly, people that are United States citizens into a battle zone. Well, who's is doing that? Justified? Who's, who's well, sending no, Americans to battle zone? Who's going down that line? Who, who is? Who is sending? Well, who wants to send Americans well, to battle zone? I'll, I'll give you Mitch McConnell. Any, no. Any Mitch Ma- Mitch You're Mitch making me defend Mitch McConnell? I he know, hasn't, hasn't called to deploy American troops. No, well, it, what I'm saying is you see the steps they're taking. It's like where there's not a war that none of them don't like right now. Whether you're talking about Ukraine, whether but again, about but, Israel, I, but I think they're very different conflicts. In the case of Ukraine, which I'm happy to talk about, to me it seems like you you either are on the side of Vladimir Putin's genocidal invasion, which has slaughtered women and children because he doesn't believe that Ukraine exists as a country and he thinks it should be part of Russia, or you support Ukraine's efforts to repel this invasion. And it's been strange watching this civil war in the Republican Party over it, because I get that not everyone in the Republican Party is crazy about democracy, and I get that some of them like Putin for reasons I can't understand. So you think Ukraine's a democracy? Like I said, we can get a debate, but you think Ukraine's a democracy? Overall, yeah, more so than Russia. Hmm. Yeah, and they're also our they're also our allies. They also are an independent what nation. They, what do they provide for the United States? Well, I mean, uh, we can talk besides about, lots of slush funds that our politicians. Well, why do they have to? Why do they have to provide something for us for us to care about the civilian slaughter? Once again, what if you call them our ally? They are same our thing ally. With Israel, Israel right now. If you call Israel our ally, what role do they serve right now in helping the United States? Okay, well, let me. I actually think those are two very different conflicts, even though Democrats are tying them together. And I understand why they're both funding them against aggression. But I will say that in the case of Ukraine, they signed a treaty with Russia in 1993, where they turned over all their nukes to Russia in exchange for their borders being respected. That was done by Yeltsin. And obviously, Vladimir Putin doesn't like that. He thinks that Ukraine should be part of Russia. So I think it's like you either respect Ukraine and their sovereignty or you respect the imperialism of Russia. I don't really know. I don't really know where it's anti-war. I mean, I'm not pro-war, but I am pro-repelling this genocidal invasion. I, I am pro-helping Ukraine do it. But you're right. It feeds the military industrial complex because the weapons and munitions we give to Ukraine, well, they're old anyway. Right. We're just getting rid of things we're not going to use. And that allows the I military we industrial in Afghanistan. We well, we left plenty. And believe me, I disagree with Joe Biden on cluster bombs. I disagree with him on depleted uranium. It was fucked up when Bush did it. It's fucked up now. But I think that you're you're looking at the military industrial complex gets to build new munitions to replenish our supply. So, yeah, that grift is going. But to me, it's it's really simple. This war ends when Vladimir Putin stops it. And I don't think Vladimir Putin's a good guy. There is no measure of Christianity or social justice that he measures up to. This war is evil and it's can be stopped by one man. Hmm. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's a little bit more complex than that issue from that. And if you're looking at it just from the Western media perspective, which I never thought that we would be trying. I mean, let's remember Bernie Sanders honeymoon to Moscow. Like, this is so f- interesting to me find the Democrats that all of a sudden Well, become, I would go to Moscow. I'd love to visit <laughs> Moscow. <It's, laughs> that it becomes so pro-anti-Russia, uh, pro-Ukraine. It's anti-Putin. It's anti-Putin. Well, so I'm not anti-Russia. You look, if you look at what ha- what's gone on the last 13 years, 14 years, and you look at what's happened, and if you've been covering it, you say right now there's the genocide that's happening in, in the Yes, the they have slaughtered areas. thousands of civilians in, in, in Actually, Ukraine. Actually, it's the reverse, because when you look at it, we, we, we were on a path to peace between the areas. You look at the areas 
areas. I'm Ukrainian. We My grandparents a, were Ukrainian. We, we were on a path to peace with whom? There was a path to peace between Ukraine and Russia. There was peace. Vladimir Zelensky was the number one comedian in Russia. Indeed he was. Okay, he was a comedian. Yeah. In Russia, yeah. okay? Very popular with Russians. In fact, it's real interesting because Vladimir Putin was a, one of Zelensky's biggest fans. In fact, helped him, some might say, even get into office. Why? Why did we have this huge turnaround? Why we, we know that Vladimir straight? Putin is a fan of getting people elected in other countries, yes. Well, you know, that's funny, right? <laughs> we'll get to that. that yeah. Trump dig on that side of it. But what you had right here is you had, a really, depending on which way you want to believe, what you want to look at, the, the truth is, and because I, I covered it for five years, there was a huge slaughter going on of Russians that were living in these areas that used to be a part of Russia in Ukraine. You mean after the Crimea invasion in 2014? Well, Exactly. There was lots of slaughter going on. And again, you that had, was that was Putin taking more of this area. Well, but this is area that were Russians were living there. They were yes, all I know, but it was okay. Ukraine and they were getting along and then Vladimir Putin invaded. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that because you look at 2010. Uh, basically, what you happen is you have Ukraine going through and I'm having to go back in my notes. I haven't talked Ukraine, Russia politics in a couple of years, in a couple of months. But what you have is that you had there was peace going on in the area. Then all of a sudden we need you have people like. Uh, Joe Biden, his family, Mitch McConnell, all of those that had some sort of dealings within Ukraine, they have an overthrow of the government that you cannot look at that Obama was not involved in because Ukraine was all of a sudden getting along with Russia. You got to have an enemy. You got to have a villain. And all of a sudden you have problems going on. You oust the leader. So what? Or do you support Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine? No, I do not support any sort of, but I don't support. Do you, do you support Ukraine's sovereignty? But it's not Ukraine. This area used to be Russia. This area was mainly right. Russian. And it was Russians Ukraine before it was, for it was years Ukraine before it was Russia, too. What I also don't support is the United States getting involved in areas they shouldn't be in, a regional conflict, and the United States encouraging it. United States allowing I mean, it to happen. This has gone on for 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 since America began. So why began. is the United States there? What, Ukraine what, what is our ally. Is our, well, but, but is it our ally? What, in yes. what way? Vladimir Putin is the Hitler. Is we have Vladimir all- Putin is our Hitler. Okay. Because, do you do you think? No, do you I, think I totally should, should Hitler awful. have been given Czechoslovakia? Because we'll have given Czechoslovakia and then he'll behave. But I'm asking, when an imperialist force but is that, invading smaller neighboring countries, should they be allowed to do it? They used to be Russians, that the Russians are being, they're the ones that are being slaughtered so for should Ukraine, years. So should, should Ukraine be the given to Russia? The area right now that was annexed by the Russians, in Crimea. used to be in Russia, should be belong to Russia. So should Ukraine... Because the Russians that were there were being slaughtered by the Ukrainians. Should Ukraine lose their sovereignty Not and become Ukraine. a part There's of Russia? There's two right, I'm areas. asking about the war going on right now not the Crimea. I'm talking about the area right now that's been annexed by Russia that should go back to Russia. Okay. I'm asking about the invasion of Ukraine that's happening, Zaporizhia, all the civilian slaughter. Should Ukraine cease to exist and become absorbed by Russia? But that's not Ukraine, not the whole country. Okay. I'm asking about the whole country. Well, no, absolutely not. But the areas that were Russian territories, the areas that Russians mainly dominated in and lived in that were being massacred by Ukraine. I understand. They were ethnically Russian. That area should... Because they voted for it, they put through their elections, they voted to be a part of Russia, they should be allowed to be Do Russian. Do you think that's going to be the ultimate resolution, that that part will be ceded to Russia permanently, but the rest of Ukraine's borders will be sovereign? Absolutely, that's what I would hope. And do you think that Vladimir Putin will agree to that or yes. will it just take the slaughter of more Ameri- nope. more Ukrainians? Nope. I think that's absolutely what, and I'm going to agree with the slaughter, but I absolutely agree that that's what he would want. He wants the people there to be protected. 
that were Russians that were being slaughtered for the last four years. I saw the videos. I covered it. So, so it. you don't support Americans helping Ukraine repel the invaders? No, I don't. Because once again, I don't think America, I don't think in many cases around the world right now that America is helping the situation. What about NATO countries? If, if Russia were to invade First a NATO, NATO country? First of NATO shouldn't even be existent right now, to be honest with you. It was supposed to be dissolved after well, World War II. It's stronger and more popular than ever. And it was well, created. thank you, Donald Trump, it for was, going in there and making it, people have to pay their share of it. It was actually created to push back against Russian uh, intrusion into other countries. Well, so if Russia, War II, if Russia tries to invade Sweden, but Russia's not going to try right, that. But if they that's were to try America, to, but that's once again, and, and, and unicorns and, and cupcakes don't fall from the sky. I mean, you can create whatever narrative you want. But if you actually look at what Vladimir Putin wants and where he's wanting to do, never has he said that he wants to take on other areas. Now, I don't want to defend Vladimir, Vladimir Putin, Putin doesn't believe he doesn't defend. He doesn't believe Ukraine exists. No, he believes Ukraine exists, but the areas no, right he now doesn't. That he's annexed, he does not believe Ukraine exists. He does the not believe it's that a country. He is annexed is what it is. I understand. Now, but I it, know that that's he, what it is, but it's actually the rest of the country and civilians are being slaughtered as we speak and he doesn't believe Ukraine exists as its own country. He thinks it's part of Russia rightfully and he's trying to reclaim it. So, the whole Ukraine. You think yes. Vladimir Putin wants the entire country of why Ukraine? Is Where has he, he said that? Where has he said that? Why is he marching tanks and armies there? He's conscripting because people. He's in pulling, a war and he wants the areas that were being slaughtered where the Russians were being slaughtered Scotty, but he's not doing that. He's bombing the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. He's going all over the country. Because it's called war and unfortunately the West has gotten involved in this conflict that I think could have been settled without any of this and encouraged this war to continue and only escalate to worse. I mean, is Vladimir Putin a bad guy? Uh, yes, I would definitely say he's, he's definitely. But I'm and I would never defend any ruler, um, including the United States most of the time. Uh, but I do think that, unfortunately, when America and the West gets involved and we're seeing it right now, what's going on in Israel and, and Gaza, it doesn't help the situation. All it's always doing is creating more turmoil. And who does that benefit? Does it benefit the people on the ground there? No. Joe it Biden, benefits the politicians. Joe Biden said yesterday he supports a pause. He didn't say ceasefire, which I was hoping he would say. Hasn't said it. But he said he would support a, a pause in the Israeli uh, military incursion into Gaza. Would you agree with that? As things have progressed, considering the first day that we had this horrible terrorist attack happen in the country of Israel um, that was supposedly not at all caught by any of the security the spe for, from the Mossad or the CIA. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, nobody knew this was going to happen, which yeah. I have lots of questions well, on that e one Egypt, right there. E Egypt, Egypt, Egypt warned a little bit. So, so this was supposedly a surprise, you know, terrorist attack on a whole country and everything that happened. That do you admit that that day was horrible? That that day should never have happened. I have always said that Hamas are Nazi terrorist thugs, and I've always said that. Netanyahu is a gangster criminal thug. Okay, you got thug versus thugs. Yeah. Both of them are elected to power and head up the governments in their respective yes, areas. And the people so of both, I think the people of both nations deserve better leadership. I think that there's no military solution to this. And I believe in a world where- So now where you want to be at peace. I've always wanted to be at peace. I believe that uh, Palestine deserves to be a free, independent state with control of its own borders where people can have passports and come and go as they want. Let it become a great tourism economy by the beach. I believe Israel deserves to live in peace and security with neighbors who respect their right to exist. I don't think they're going to get that with leadership that needs conflict to stay in power. Hamas has been propped up by Netanyahu for years, and he said it. He said to the Likud in 2019, if you don't want a Palestinian state... You have to support Hamas because they want perpetual war for perpetual peace. So you're actually saying that Hamas was put into power by Netanyahu. No, I'm saying Hamas believe. was supported in power by Netanyahu. Yeah. Interesting. And now that he wants to get out, that's an interesting take on it. And they were put into power by the, the power vacuum of the PLO. I think that if Rabin hadn't been assassinated, I think if Ariel Sharon hadn't gone into a coma, who knows how much better things would be right now. But this guy, Netanyahu, has never cared about peace and he's never cared about the dignity of the Palestinian state. Never.
Well, and that's that's the debate that's happening right now. But what good does it do when you have soldiers already being deployed? There are soldiers being called up to be deployed over to that region. What does that do? What does it do? Do you mean the aircraft carriers? We got aircraft carriers. No, you have have army reserves right now that are being called up. In Tennessee alone, I have three people that have been called up. Just be put in the area. Just in case, yeah. Just in case. I think it's terrifying. I think there's no military solution to the problems in uh, Israel and Gaza. Do you know what I believe? I think that when it initially happened, the attack initially happened, you had a very strong... Netanyahu came out, his first press conference came out. He, for the first time, spoke only in Hebrew. Now, normally, those of us are given, you know, English advanced copies or afterwards you have somebody translate them. Even the networks were taken off. Nobody could translate exactly what Netanyahu was saying. Yeah, he was very hardcore. We are going to. And then you got the 24 hour directive that they were going to take out to, to get out of Gaza if you were in. Mm-hmm. Now, Egypt, nobody else. I, I think them, Netanyahu I saw this as a great opportunity to solidify his power and save his political career, because a few months ago, it was when they were marching against him in the streets. It was young people. It was leftists. Mm-hmm. Now, look at the polls in Jerusalem Post. It's all strata of Israeli society has had it with this guy. They blame him for it. And I don't think he's going to be able to capitalize off this. What I see happening is a lot of what happened to America after 9-11. George W. Bush tried to capitalize off a terrorist attack, and it led to America losing all the goodwill we'd engendered after we were attacked. And I see Netanyahu doing the same thing, except he's not trying to do it to invade Iraq and get their oil. He's trying to do it to save his own career. Well, what I find is interesting is that you've seen this change in strategy because Israel was full bullish going into these first few days out. And I I seriously thought that they were going to completely uh, destroy Gaza where it was. Uh, What you had was a reverse on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, since like Israel went, ooh. The West either A, doesn't have the military power to back me up for a ground war or anything for more than two weeks, or B, the West might not be completely, as we're seeing the divide that's happening in the United States right now on our college campuses and even in, in D.C. in the capital themselves. Not all the West is 100% behind Israel. That no, I think we're Israel very divided, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
Spreaker or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. How are you getting along with your fellow Republicans in these times? <laughs> Not good sometimes. Really? It depends on which ones you're talking about. Um, unfortunately, like you said, there's a splintering going on right now because you do have Trump. You do have a whole host of people that are running for president right now. So you're going to have that typical divide on which side will win. Um, I, as I've commonly said, I'm for the person that can be, they can reclaim the White House and get Biden out of office. Who do you like? Uh, I, <laughs> none of them. Really, I really do wish that America could do better. And who I think would you like to see better. run as a Republican? Uh, still don't have that. That jury's out. Um, because, who would you like to see? You know, I like. Uh, oh, what is it? Uh, the Roy Tim Roy out of uh, that was um, Chip Roy. Was, yes, Chip yeah. Roy mm-hmm. out of Texas. He's kind of you know, but once again, he's just now getting his feet wet in D.C. We'll see if D.C. can corrupt him too much. Were you always conservative? Were your parents conservative? Did you grow up conservative? Always conservative. Both my parents were definitely more. My mother was a feminist. My father was definitely more of a hippie uh, at Woodstock. So, but once they had me and they realized, you know, they started making money and paying taxes, they started to lean more conservative. Actually, my mother blames it on Carter is the switch when she had to wait with her her seven. 79 Mustang and the lines for gas is that's when she started to look at what this other party was doing what the Republicans were doing. My grandfather was the man who caused all the chaos at the DNC in Chicago um, with with Daley. He was the one out in the streets purposely to try to distract. So I've learned, unfortunately, politics is not always what you see. Um, nothing ever is co- coincidence. Nothing just happens. There's always somebody behind trying to, to play things. We had a moment before we started taping. <laughs> I've known you over 10 years. You didn't know about my background. I had no idea that your mother's and I guess as you point out your father's ex-husband was God my father was a Franciscan brother and my mother was a nun for 16 years yeah that is amazing I don't know if I have questions for you or questions for them on how that talk about a Netflix series that's that needs to be made right there about your parents but are they still involved with the church my parents are no longer with us um, but uh, yeah they my dad always felt that his faith got deeper once he left the clergy he always felt that Loving this woman was a continuation of the same love that drew him into a life of uh, the religious. So, yeah, he always felt it was completely consistent. But again, like my dad was always the one who would stay after church and debate the priest on the front steps saying, why you got to talk about hell all the time? Why is it all fire and brimstone? Where, where, where's the love? Where's the acceptance? Where's the compassion? Why is it always punishment, punishment with you people? Because, you know, they... They always prayed for a better pope. They did not like a lot of what the Vatican did, but their attitude was, we're going to stay in the church and fight to make it better. That was always what they wanted to, how they wanted to serve their faith. So amazing. Fascinating. It it really is. Talk about a true love story. Um, Because, you know, if they're willing to give up what they figured it was their God calling for each other and give the world you. (laughs) Well, I don't know if that was part of their plan. We're eternally grateful for that. My dad fell in love with her when he was still, you know, a brother and he told her and she was very upset with him and threw him out of the hospital. Uh, he, but he, he carried a torch for 10 years and finally told her and she angrily rejected him. She said, you have no right to say this to me. Uh, she worked in Africa as a nurse with lepers in the jungles of Malawi while he was teaching history to Catholic boys in Brooklyn. And um, But eventually she came back to the States and he finally proposed and she left and they were married two months later. Um, on a Southern Army base. That and is absolutely so, beautiful. 
That 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 is absolutely. I love that. That just that right there just that shows. Like I said, it's straight out of a, out of a movie script. So then, where does your anger towards God come from? Does it stem anywhere from that, or from organized religion? Anger with very, God? I, or organized I, religion? I I identify with God's mood swings myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anger with God. I I um, well, no, actually, I do have anger with God. Sometimes I think everybody does. Um, whatever God is, I don't pretend to know what God I is. Say, are you, I don't think God's. My an father old... says that you are. You are. What's the what does your father say? He thinks that you, what's the one that doesn't believe in God? Sorry, I'm having agnostic. A, I've been up since three, so agnostic. He thinks that you're agnostic. Are you? No, no, I believe in God. I just don't presume that God is a white man with a big fuck off beard in the sky throwing lightning bolts down. I think when the Greeks translated the Hebrew text, they put a lot of their mythology into the interpretation that we inherited. Um, no, my problems with organized religion are that I find very often, especially in the United States, uh, Christianity. And Christ followers seem to be two different groups increasingly. There's a lot of overlap. But when I look at organized religion and and conservative religion, I see them fighting for a lot of things that are very important to the religion, but are not actually reflected in the teachings of Jesus. So Jesus never talked about abortion. Not once. The Bible's not against abortion. The God asserts a fetus is property in Exodus 21 and um, that a woman's life has more value in his eye. Uh, Jesus never condemned gay people. Uh, you can't really use the Bible to condemn gay people. Nobody follows Leviticus. Um, nobody follows Romans, Paul's letter. And I, I feel like the character of Jesus in the Bible, he lays out his marching orders in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 25, he says, individuals and nations if you follow me, you have to take care of the poor, take care of the sick, be kind to those in prison, welcome the stranger. The only law in the entire Bible about immigration or borders in Old Testament and new is welcome the stranger. Jesus also says he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He tells you to pay your taxes. He overturns Old Testament law on divorce. He overturns Old Testament law on the death penalty and says only sinless people can execute. So what I found, Scotty, was when I got older and stopped going to Catholic Mass all the time, but I got very into studying the Bible, the deeper I got into it, the more I realized that organized religion in my country doesn't really reflect the teachings of Christ. It reflects the preferences of organized religion. That was it for me. John, I think this is why you and I can have conversations with you. Now, I can almost completely disagree with everything you said there about what the Bible says and doesn't say. We can have which that. part do you want to dispute? We, we, we could go through all of those. Unfortunately, I did which? not bring. I, I didn't. I was did not come prepared with all my scriptures to back that's everything okay. up. Okay, I'm happy to discuss good. it anytime. Come but back. But the fact that I truly believe you are, you believe what you're saying. No, I just read the book. That's well, all I got. But I'm, but I'm saying that you. It, this isn't just a a spiel for you this isn't you truly in your heart no, I'm, your liberal. I'm, I'm liberal because of jesus when i was a kid my dad woke me out of bed pulled me into his room my mother was working nights and on tv was jimmy carter signing the camp david peace accord with israel and egypt and my dad couldn't believe an american christian had helped bring peace between muslims and jews and he wanted his kid there to see it because to him that was everything christianity and america could and should be i'm a liberal because of Jesus, not a fan of organized religion per se, although I've known tons of lovely people and I've loved tons of lovely conservative Christians. I actually think very often, while I disagree with them on policy, conservative Christians can be much more liberal with kindness than liberals. I grew up with a big conservative Christian Brooklyn family and a big conservative Christian Southern family. So I, I'm very comfortable in both worlds. But for me, I'm a liberal uh, because of the teachings of Jesus. 
and to your audience, I think it's very genuine. He's you're genuine. Where before I've I've talked to people who say that, and you can tell it's just because that is the token line that comes. And I know you don't believe in in the the Democrat the Democratic Party. You don't believe in those lines, but that's usually the token. When we start discussing religion, it's just because that's what they've been told. Um, that's what they. I truly believe, and that's why I think I do respect you. Is whether I think you're wrong or not. Just well, I'm also deeply it, but, charming and handsome, Scotty. Yes, I hope that you are. That's exactly yes, the thank side you. of it. That point. Of it. Yes. But but those are the but these are the conversations that we do. You've made some very valid points. Um, we can discuss about the different aspects of the Bible. I do believe, unfortunately, I do agree that it was translated wrong. I do believe that it was translated to, for one, whoever was, whichever translation you want to look at. I mean, on the, on the homophobia stuff, like the words Paul uses in his letters to describe that, that were translated to homosexual in 1946, all referred to Roman temple prostitutes, arsenicolati. You know, like I've, I've, I've really researched it because I grew up thinking that being gay was evil. Not my parents never taught it to me, but my church did. And then when I, as a teenager, realized working in theater, I knew gay men who were wonderful people. I couldn't reconcile it because my religion told me one thing, but my eyes and ears told me another thing. And so when I began researching the history of how the Bible was written and translated, I realized there's no Jesus-based justification for anti-gay discrimination. So how do you feel about log cabin Republicans? I think that they are honoring their mother and father. I think that they are honoring the community that, and I think many of them believe in cutting taxes for the wealthy. I think they believe that helps stimulate an economy. So uh, they are willing to endorse humans like Donald Trump and Mike Pence because they value whatever their economic agenda is over the human rights agenda. Interesting. Actually, I found to be more conservative. You want to talk to a group that is more pro-life and anti-abortion group, it will be your gay men that are conservative. Why? Because they can't have children. And okay. to them, and I know this, I've had many conversations, to them, it hurts them that people throw away that ability, that option to have when there's nothing well, more again, than they the, would the, love. The, the majority of women who have abortions are mothers. So it's not throwing away the ability. In many cases, it's economic. You want to show me how to make it free to have a baby in this country so poor women don't have to go into deeper poverty? Then, then I'll be open to it. How do you explain the multiple abortions that people have? That so many times that it's not just I a blame it on men. Use it as, as I a, blame it on men. So you don't just use it. I, Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, we could be having the this kind of conversation, this argument, where it's blame it on men. In the modern no, day of when, pharmaceuticals, when, no. where you have birth control and all of those. When things. men stop when, sticking their dicks in women, then men can maybe entertain well, then we're the all idea lesbians of lesbians, and we'll never have kids. No, then again. men can stop telling women what to do with their bodies. I don't think I have a right to tell you what to do, and I don't think the state, I don't think government, has a right to force American citizens to be pregnant if they don't want to be. I'm not that big government. Were you, so were you for the vaccination? What do you mean was I Man for Were it? you for mandatory vaccines? We didn't have mandatory for, vaccines. Well, for, in order to go into public places, were you for it? Were you for when we my child- We didn't have mandatory vaccines to in go into public places. In order to go places. into restaurants, you had to in be some, vaccinated. Some private, most, bus- some private most businesses- Most major cities. I res- my child could not come to New York. I respect private can, businesses having their own safety procedures. had it. Travel, they put that you had to come in quarantine for 10 days if you weren't. Yeah, I respect that. That was a city. Yeah. That was a city ordinance. I, I appreciate that as okay, a, so as that a citizen is, of the city. That is, that is kind of a choice. That's a public safety choice. Yeah, I mean, this is- Public safety, so, it's allowed. There was a the debate government over, can control my body in public safety, but not. Should the government force men? Should men be forced to have vasectomies so they can't impregnate women? Because you want to solve abortion, go ahead and mandate that every man has to have a vasectomy 
And then the government pays for it. When you're 15 years old, you get snipped. And when you're ready to have a child, the government pays for you to have it undone. Do you have to and have we, sex? And we do it mandatory. Sex, uh, uh, you can have all the sex you want. But that, is that the thing? Is, is sex something, in most cases, and like I said, in rape and incest, it's a whole nother, whole nother situation. But is sex something that you have to have all the time? You talking to me personally? <laughs> but I'm saying, as a society, do we have to have it, or is it a choice? I, I, I. Actions have consequences. What we teach our children. Oh, absolutely. I so listen. The I, action I, of I blame. having <laughs> sexual relations with somebody could potentially result in yes. That's what I'm saying. A child. So why don't so, we force men to have vasectomies that can then be reversed? Why would we not just? Well, I believe no. in education. Well, wait a second. Why should women not have? But so women shouldn't have control of their bodies, but men get to have control of their bodies. Let's force women, men. It's called, it's called birth control. It's called buying condoms. It's called female condoms. There's, there's things you can do to prevent. I support. I support. In, in modern day, yeah, I fully, we're not back in the 1970s, 1980s. You didn't have equal access. You to. actually had access to all those birth control in the 70s and 80s. Not, but I support not as openly. Look, I'm I'm in favor of single payer, the same healthcare system all of our capitalist allies enjoy. I think birth control should be free. I think it should be free to have a baby. I don't think it should cost a woman a penny to give birth in this country. And I think childcare should be free as well. I believe in paid family leave, which all of our capitalist allies have. I think we should make it not so much an economic impediment for women to have another child. We got to take a break. Can you stick around a little bit longer? Absolutely. We'll be right back with my future wife, Scotty Nell Hughes. <laughs> Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we are back for a little bit more with our good friend, Scotty Nell Hughes. It always goes well. You know, it's like I always say, why can't political talk be more like sports talk where you're allowed to disagree but still get along? Absolutely, because I guess, you know, unfortunately with politics today, they want it to be uh, almost like a WWE wrestling match. I guess that's what they feel like it's the viewers. And I can't decide if I blame the politicians or the people that watch. It's because all it's everything. If, people, if people weren't watching, then it wouldn't be this way. Unfortunately, that's not what policy comes towards. I agree. I say all the time, you know, there's millions of liberal and moderate Christians and Muslims and Jews getting along just fine right now in small towns and cities around the world, and they will never make the news because conflict makes the news. People of different faiths getting along, working together, marrying each other. It's not interesting. Well, and you want to talk about it. I still believe the politicians on both sides of the aisle don't want solutions. Republicans can scream about the border, uh, border control, if they want to shut down the border, that they're worried about terrorists coming over. But yeah. guess what? They've done nothing. No, they, they, they can't. they don't do it when they have their power. So No, they have. But again, you know, like if they wanted to stop people crossing the border, they could do it in a month. You start exactly. arresting the Americans who hire undocumented workers like Donald Trump. They won't ever do it because they look, look what happened. They with Roe v. Wade <laughs> that killed a, bit, a lot of their fundraising like they need the conflict to get elected and that's exactly how it works even on the other side as well I think that's where a lot of the Democrat the, the difference is is that Democrats still I think do a better job of presenting a unified front when it comes time to it Republicans lately, lately they do lately Republicans don't we we are I will be the first to say our party is a mess the problem is is you do have this extremist faction um, even last night even on our local chat boards I was called a liberal yeah. um, a liberal student who's sleeping with Democrats by the way my husband's executive committee for the Republican Party which was mm. kind of funny just because I believed in taking 
money and reappropriating it from a savings fund to build new stadiums that had collapsed for six of the high school, public high schools in the county. Wow. Wasn't going to raise taxes. But because I said that, every conservative yeah. went after it. That's the problem we have yeah. today is we cannot. They literally, if you're it. not with them 100%, yeah. you're against them. That's on the left, too. I is mean, it, oh, are you it, kidding me? Are you, I get I get called a warmongering uh, neo-lib every day. Well, sure, that was me. I just called you that. I think earlier in this well, podcast. Well, okay. I promise I'm not. When did but, I become the hippie, the bra-burning hippie? Uh, you're and not. You're the one with the okay. No, but I but I, I'm saying I get called it. I mean, that's that's the same civil war exists in both. That's why I think there's five political parties. There's the left, and there's Democrats. There's the right, and there's Republicans, and there's apathy, mm-hmm. and those are the five groups. I think that's correct, and that that apathy is uh, is what they're looking for. What both parties strive for because that means low voter, voter turnout. That means low people not caring about it, people that not paying attention and going about their daily lives. And then when you have this, something happens. All of a sudden, they get in. Real yeah, quick. I don't I don't like how the Trump people treated you. I've always been mad about that. You were very good to them, and and you uh you know and and look, I I get it, but like I just feel like I just don't respect the man. And I don't respect the movement. I never liked how they they didn't look out for you after all you did for them. Add me to a list. But I think that is very true. The loyalty did not exist in Donald Trump. And I was one of those. Yeah, it's obedience. Did. It's obedience. It's obedience. Not but even then, or, or what was a fighter? What I was told, I remember Amorosa looked at me like after the first couple times I met her, she says, no matter whatever happens to you, always fight. Fight hard. He wants to see that you're fighting, even if you're fighting against him. <laughs> That's how all the yeah. people that fought against him ended up in his White House. And then he was shocked when it turned out to be absolute chaos in there and you couldn't trust anybody. Is he going to get the nomination, Scotty? He's got seven trials between now and the he RNC. With each trial, he gets more and more popular. Yes, he's going to get the nomination. Um, even from jail, he could still get the nomination. People yeah. are scratching their head. Why? Well, it just speaks to the rest of the field. Is it a cult? Um, no, it's not a cult. It's people that he, he has a great job of messaging and what he's saying. The only thing that is going to hold him accountable is his record from 2016 to 2020. He did yeah. not deliver on his, pro- no. his promises then. He so, made, well, he cut taxes for wealthy people. He did that. That's no. that's no. 2017 is he, his he one did, big he achievement. He did his Supreme Court. He did get the Supreme Court justice on there. He can take credit for that. But we once again, we knew that was going to happen. This is why. No, it's going to be three in one term. Well, one, this is why Obama was begging Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest her soul, rest her peace and soul. Or soul but Mitch peace. McConnell's the villain there. Can you agree with that? Mitch McConnell's the villain there. Yeah. Mitch McConnell decided the black guy doesn't get to have a vote in his last year in office, but the white guy does. No. Yes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't listen to Obama and retire right, but early Mitch so that McConnell, they could put somebody in. Mitch when they McConnell had wouldn't of it. let the black president have an up or down vote in his duly yeah, appointed nominee. That's politics. Right. Whereas but Mitch. The Democrats would have let Mitch, the Republican do it. No, either. that's never been done before. Well, no, Mitch McConnell. McConnell decided we would only have eight people on the Supreme Court for a whole year because he made up this Biden rule that didn't exist. And yet Donald Trump, when 50 million Americans had already cast their votes, he decided to let Donald Trump, the white guy, have an up or down vote. I don't think it's a black and white issue. I think it's a oh, I think he should have to issue. deny it every day for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, you can, you can do that argument on it. But I think it's I think it's more of a Republican Democrat issue. Then the Democrats would have done the same thing if they would have had the opportunity in that position to do it. No, they would not. I disagree. No, they would they not. They would not have given the Republicans yes, they would a have. Supreme Court justice if they had the chance. Yes, they would have. Okay, I, we're going to disagree always on have. that one. Well, whenever no. we no one has ever done. No one's ever done. No one's figured out. No one's ever. No, there's only been one president who was denied an up or down vote on his appointed nominee because it was allowed. It was not allowed that opportunity, but it was. It worked. It was. Le- but it's it was. Up legal. It was bullshit, and but, it was corrupt, and it was a lot based on lies. Well, once again, 
It worked. Merrick Garland should have been on the Supreme Court. It worked. <laughs> That's another one. Uh, if the reverse would have happened, you cannot tell me that the, the Democrats I, would not have had the same I opportunity. Because well, it's I, never happened before. It's happened one time in history. It happened to the one black president. Because it was the timing of it and how everything went. But the timing with Donald Trump was even closer. 50 million had voted by the time Amy Coney Barrett got on the Supreme Court. It was a year with Obama's nominee when Scalia died. If it was not legal, trust me, it would have been challenged and reversed as Oh, as I, think, as I think the Obama administration should have fought much harder so to do it. So why didn't they? I wish I knew, but they okay, didn't fight so harder. probably a good reason why. Because they thought, you know they I think they thought Hillary it. Clinton would win. But well, it doesn't change it. the fact that Mitch McConnell was a corrupt hypocrite and wouldn't let the black guy have a vote and let the white guy, who spray tans to be less white, have the vote. <laughs> well, you cannot put, say that Mitch McConnell is a fan of Donald Trump. He has never been nope. from day one. He, despite Most Trump of them aren't, his, Scotty, right? Well, I know. 98% of them probably are not. And that's where Trump's downfall is. Any sort of character, good character that Trump has um, is erased by the people around him. So what's going to happen? I mean, next summer when Donald Trump is a convicted felon, what's going to happen at that His convention? polls are going to be even more popular than Joe Biden's are as they are right now. I think the majority of Americans, and just to be fa- just to be equal, fair and balanced, both sides don't want like either of their candidates. And I think that's, people really don't want Joe Biden. They wish they had a better candidate. And they do. I think you've got Gavin Newsom just frothing in, in California. Uh, and there's no other reason why you would go on Sean Hannity. Uh, and I think they wish they had a better Republican candidate. And it's none of them that are on the stage. So what's going to happen? I think we're going to have Biden versus Trump again. Oh, I think so too. And then I think it's, I think people are not going to go vote. I think you're going to see voter empathy on both of them. And they're, they're just going to stay home. They're not going to be engaged. They don't want to. They don't want to do it, unless. I, I, but you mentioned the villain before. Event. You mentioned the villain before. There's I do, and I think well, I fear the major event's going to be a repeat of what Trump did, getting OPEC to cut oil production, and gas prices are going to shoot up to five bucks a gallon next year because the Saudi Arabian royal family wants Donald Trump back in the White House as badly as Vladimir Putin does. Mm, I disagree with that one. That's, I, don't think I think, that's, but Joe I, Biden's I greatest woe. Let's let's talk in a year. Joe okay. Biden's greatest danger to me is 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 oil prices. Well, you always say that when it comes to an election year. You you look at the gas pump and the price of oil and uh, uh, oil, eggs, and milk. Yeah, those three things right there will determine who's president. Yeah, and if it's too high for the average American, then guess what? Whoever's in office won't be in office after election day. So, do you think Donald Trump is going to be elected? Uh, at this stage, if, if the election was held tomorrow, I would put the money on Donald Trump as a convicted felon with well, all these seven trials happening because between people now and look, then. and we can debate each count and what, what their motivation is behind him. But as Trump has sold from day one, that is politically motivated and it has nothing to do with actually the right of law. Did you like Donald Trump before he came in office in 2016? Were you a fan? Did you watch The Apprentice? Before he got into politics, Scotty, did you like Donald Trump? I live Trump? in New York. He's always been a joke to us. I, I worked with him. I did an, I, I hosted an event for him once for Adopt a Classroom. He's, no, do you remember how- Did you he... just said you host an event for Donald Trump for yeah. Adopt a Classroom? So he was involved in charity work. So he was obviously, you say he was a joke, but he was respected enough to host Scotty, to he event. used to take his girlfriend out to humiliate the mother of his children every night in 1990. I lived in New York during that, and the tabloids went crazy back in 1990. I was in college and had to read about this fucking guy taking his girlfriend out to humiliate his wife while they were still married every night. He he, he was sued by Nixon's Justice Department for racist housing practices. The Central Park Five shit he did, and saying that the first black president wasn't born here with no evidence. No, I thought he was a cretin before he ever announced his race. Well, he was also given the NAACP award for buying the building down by Wall Street. I mean, yeah, I mean, for you, everything. like I said, you, the but he's always been a racist. He's always been a racist, Scotty. But then I thought you were using the. Well, like I said, we, there's a whole other argument to have. But 
Prior to him going getting into politics, I think he was well respected, well loved. Not in New York. He was like the naked cowboy. He, he still was. Had, a, he still had Trumps. He all was over. the naked cowboy. I mean, I he was a tourist you. attraction in our city. I think he was a celebrity, and I think that's one of the reasons why Melania married him. And I oh, I agree with that. Was a he was a celebrity, it. but after after the Central Park Five, I could never respect him. He was calling for the death of these five boys after they were exonerated by DNA evidence. No, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of chaos at that time. But out in the outside world, not to me, it was pretty clear. The outside world, uh, he was pretty popular and pretty well loved until he got into politics. He had a reality show where he pretended to be a CEO when in reality he was a landlord in a business he inherited from his dad. I think he's a masterpiece of spin and I give him full credit. He's very charismatic. He's much more charismatic than DeSantis or anybody else they put up. I'm not surprised he's destroying them all in the polls, but when you actually go by facts and character and policies, I, I just, I, there's not a lot there. I mean, at least with Bush, I, I agreed with Bush that Major League Baseball interleague play diminished the power of the World Series. There was one thing I agreed with Bush on. Trump, I'm trying to find it still. Well, hopefully we can find something in the next year. You can agree on it. Scotty, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you and write you very nice comments for coming on this show? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. is at Scotty N. Hughes. Um, it's on Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. But you know what? Even since it's been taken over by Elon Musk, I'll admit, I'm not on there as much. Yeah, nobody is. It's not as much fun. I hate that everybody has it's... blue check marks. I, I can't... Right. There's I never no way to tell. I have to literally go and figure out if somebody's actually a true journalist. No, he destroyed what made that site special. And I and I, I get what he was trying to do. I think mm, he was counterproductive. I don't get what he's trying to do. I think it's a. I think he took a lot of Saudi money to burn that house down. Once again, Saudis, the ones that bombed, came nine eleven, and yet yeah, and chopped up Jamal Khashoggi. And yet we ended up going over to. About Afghanistan and trying and getting involved in a war with them. Let's hear it once for again, electric it cars. To, electric again, cars, baby. Yeah, that is, I hope it's worth it. Uh -huh. um, but once again, this goes back to why I am a peace-loving, bra-burning hippie at this stage. I'm glad you are. I don't want us, our, our men and our women involved in any foreign and wars. And I'm very glad that Joe Biden will not be committing our troops to foreign wars. Scotty, it's always good to see you. And will you come back again? Anytime. Well, let's do this some more. Yeah. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am so happy to talk about this next uh, album with this next guest. 25 years ago, R.E.M. was at a real turning point. Drummer Bill Berry had left the band amicably after an incredible run that went from the humblest of beginnings in vans in Georgia to one of the top rock bands on earth. Michael Stipe, Mike Mills and Mr. Buck pushed forward and they really viewed the change as an opportunity to challenge expectations and expand the band's sound, saying a three legged dog is still a dog. It just learns to run differently. The result was Up, their 11th studio album, which brought some gorgeous electronic textures to their well-established sound. And now they're celebrating the 25th anniversary of this pivotal album with a variety of reissues, ranging from a remastered double vinyl edition to a gorgeous deluxe two CD, one Blu-ray set. Uh, the deluxe and expanded CD editions include something that is just great for fans. It's an 11-song live performance taped on the set of the 90s drama Party of Five. R.E.M. was... A guest on the show is their first primetime TV appearance, and it includes some of the great new tracks from this album, as well as Man on the Moon, Losing My Religion, End of the World. Now, Mike Mills is R.E.M.'s brilliant bassist. He's also their accomplished pianist. That's him playing piano on Night Swimming. And he's also background vocals and occasional lead vocalist. That's him on Near Wild Heaven, Texarkana, and Superman. He's a terrific songwriter. I always said he should have sung lead more. Good guitarist as well. And most importantly, Mike Mills is one of the reasons I won't quit Twitter. We are always thrilled to have Mike Mills back on Sirius XM. Hello, sir. Good to see you. 
Hello, John. It's really great to be here. And I have to say that you're one of the few few things keeping me on that hell side as well. <laughs> you I know, really it's enjoy a, your, the coffee with Christ thing is just. Uh, oh, you saw that. <laughs> I love, Thank you. I love that. <laughs> my, my Jesus is guide to uh, illegals for racist idiots. Thank you. I'm, exactly. I'm glad. Well, you're you're I mean, you know, I think my mother, the ex-nun, always said that artists, true artists had a ministry. And I see what you do in terms of politics, very akin to what you do in terms of music. You just care about people and you care about society. And it's a love, the same love, I think, that makes you create beautiful music and makes you have the activism you have. I, that's, I think that's well said. There is certainly a, a big overlap in the Venn diagram for those two things. Um, you know, to be successful at, at music or at making any kind of social progress, you have to be passionate. You have to really care and you have to care enough to actually put yourself out there. So that works for, for both of those endeavors. Right on. Uh, it's really uh, a bit tragically late to be asking this question, but I haven't seen you. How was COVID for you and your family? How did how did you all do? Uh, it was, um, wow, life changing. Um, I got married. So, yeah, uh, sir, that was that was another life changing aspect of it. Um, you know, everyone knock on wood, everyone survived. Uh, everyone got through it. Um, it made, you know, for like everyone for everyone else, it made changes, some of which uh, are, are still here to this day, you know, in terms of of maybe taking some stress out of your life, uh, removing some of the non-essential items and and really focusing on what's important and i think it was very you know there were a lot of things to be gained from that experience if you were willing to look for them i gotta say i'm happy to talk about this record with you I, i'll never forget when it first came out i had just moved to la and i was i, I spent a lot of time in a car playing up at, at the time the album got great reviews got a lot of airplay had gorgeous songs like day sleeper and at my most beautiful with with great piano work by you but I, I always felt like this has been one of the more unsung albums in your catalog. And, and I was curious, do you, Mike, have do you have relationships with these previous albums that evolve or, or change over time? I mean, how did you regard Up at the time and, and how do you feel about it now? What was the process in deciding to issue a new edition? Um, it's Up is a very... Uh, fraught record for us. Uh, we, we had decided already to make some changes in how we recorded and wrote uh, songs. Peter had been buying vintage keyboards and drum machines for some time in preparation for making a different sounding record. And then, of course, when Bill left the band, we, that just really accelerated and focused that process to where it had to become uh, a, a basically drums free record. So, um, it was it also when Bill left the band, it really threw the balance completely out of whack. You know, there with within with a band is like a marriage for however many people are in that band. And when yeah. you've been doing it for, you know, 15, 16 years at that point, as we had, uh, you, you achieve equanimity, uh, you know, through trial and error. So when Bill left, we had to basically restart the entire process of how do we get along how do we balance who comes in late with who comes in early and who wants to stay late and who wants to leave early and all of those sorts of interpersonal dynamics had to be reassessed so when i hear this record i hear a record made by a band who was basically dealing it's a tabula rasa for me it's just, just starting from scratch and dealing with the fact that uh, the band could be over. Our life's work could be finished at any moment because it was that dire for a while. So uh, we made music 
in spite of all of the turmoil or maybe to help get through all the turmoil. So when I hear the record, I hear a band that was finding their way into becoming whatever it was they were going to become. I mean, sonically, it it's so sure of itself. It's so, you know, of a time. I mean, Nigel Godrich helped on this album, and it certainly sounds like it could be a cousin of OK Computer at times. It was so huge at the time that Bill had left the band. But, you know, we were just talking yesterday, uh, a couple days ago, was the uh, 35-year anniversary of that first Traveling Wilburys album. And yeah. Dylan had only been making records for 25 years at that point. So I realized, oh, but wow, Traveling Wilburys was actually early Bob Dylan in the first half of his career. After 17 <laughs> years together, it was so huge that Bill left the band. But now it sort of comes regarded as midpoint, a mid-period of R.E.M., and and wow. you guys talked a lot at the time about, you know, how it was a reinvention of the band. I always wondered if that was just something you guys were doing for interviews because the sound sounded so self-assured. Well, thank you. Um, you know, we we always had confidence in our ability to write songs and make records. Um, I think a lot of that sound and self-assurance on this record comes from Pat McCarthy, our producer. Yeah, he uh, he had the familiarity with the with the types of machines and the electronics and all of the all of the sounds that we wanted to use is stuff that he'd been working with for years. Um, he was also a dear friend and a very calm presence who really uh, helped us get through a really difficult time you know, on, on an interpersonal level, as well as being really accomplished musically with all of the things that we needed. So I think uh, you cannot really understate Pat's, Pat's uh, or you can't overstate Pat's influence and help with making this record. But other than that, you know, we knew what we were doing. We, we'd been doing it for a while and we were very confident about our ability to do it. It was just all the other mess that was going on at the same time that that uh, that gave us pause. Was there ever any kind of debate or discussion about replacing Bill with a human drummer? I mean, you you did for live shows, but was there ever a dis discussion? I mean, Tom Petty replaced his drummer. Did you guys ever consider hiring another person? We we knew we wanted another drummer, uh, especially for live shows. But but for me personally, and I think we all ended up agreeing on this too. To actually make them a full member of the band. It didn't feel right. It didn't sit yeah. right with me. REM was the four of us, and now REM was the three of us. And and you know you you can make addition by subtraction, but I don't think you could make addition by addition if that makes any sense. But having said that, we were really lucky. Uh, you know, I got to play a song with Barrett Martin on the record, and then we mm -hmm. then we got to work with two incredible drummers, Joey Warnker and and uh, and of course Bill Reeflin, who who uh, was with us for the last couple of records. Um, that that was a joy and a gift. I, I love both of those guys, and I love their drumming. And, and without this happening, we wouldn't have got to work with them. But but as far as actually replacing Bill and making someone a member of the band, that was never really a starter for me. Yeah, it's been interesting seeing the Rolling Stones present themselves as a trio right now. And, and I'm, I'm really happy seeing it. I'm really comfortable that uh, that's the choice they made, too. And me, too. I mean, I think Ronnie Wood probably deserved it, you know, after putting up with them for as long as he did. So, uh, you know, every band has its own dynamic. And and I, I don't uh, I try not to judge other bands for what they do. And I hope that the reverse of that is true as well. You know, um, the press notes for this reissue talks about your work with Pat McCarthy, who had worked with Counting Crows and Waterboys and, and U2 and and how the record was channeling the likes of uh, Brian Eno, Leonard Cohen and the Beach Boys. And I got to say, I didn't hear the influence at the time, but listening to it now, by God, I mean, Airport Man is such a gorgeous, atmospheric, spooky, beautiful song. And it seems like it was such a radical, strong choice to make that the lead off track. I mean, it seems like you were very deliberately making an announcement that this is not the same R.E.M., but yet it still is. 
That is exactly right. Um, you know, everything everything we had ever known was out the window. All the rules were gone. That's why I call it the tabula rasa. It's like nothing we've done before really matters at this point. And I said, why not just start the record off with the weirdest song that we've recorded? And if the fans can get on board with that, then they can get on board with anything else. It really was, as you say, it was definitely an announcement that that this is not the same band that that you know the world as we know it has changed and everything is going to be a little different from here on out yeah i mean at my most beautiful would have been perfectly at home on on automatic for the people i mean that uh, so much of the album sounds like pure rem and yet so much of it sounds like you guys are really just you're you're being jackson pollock on this record you're busting the whole thing wide open there's so much great stuff on this reissue I had forgotten about this Party of Five appearance. It got so much hype at the time. I'm curious, Mike, what were you most excited to include here? Oh, as far as putting things on, you know, yeah. it's, it's always, uh, it's always. I mean, I always really enjoyed doing the, the demos and the outtakes and things like that uh, because it gives people a, a glimpse into the inner workings of the band. But, you know, we've done that on almost every reissue. It felt like time to do something a little different. We've always enjoyed the intersection of of the of the arts in terms of music, television and movies. Uh, for example, you know, Peter and I both remember seeing the Standells on the Munsters and loving that. Right. Right. Um, you know, Alice Cooper was uh, was uh, in Diary of a Mad Housewife. Yeah. Um, so those sorts of things were always really like little Easter eggs uh, for for rock fans to find. So we thought it would be really fun for the fans uh, to just to see what happens when you combine these two things that may or may, may or may not go together, but we're going to try it anyway. And so it's just always fun to be cross-cultural. I think that's what we were sure. looking at there. No, it's smart. I mean, it, it just and it brought the new songs to a, a great audience as well. This is around the time when, you know, uh, I was still doing work for VH1 and MTV and VH1 were playing less and less actual music and artists had to get creative about getting the new stuff heard. And again, it's so fun listening to these records and listening to these songs live. And I'm curious, what was the process in translating these songs from this atmospheric electronic studio creation into being live rockers? Did any of these tracks surprise you? R.E.M. always, uh, we, every song in R.E.M.'s canon almost can be stripped down to a basic one guitar or one piano. Uh, th that's how, you know, you have a really solid song if you can strip it down to that minimal existence and it still plays like a like a song. Uh, so taking those songs and turning them into live songs was not really a problem. Not every song was readily adaptable, but most of them were. So we just brought an extra musician or two on tour to fill in uh, gaps and parts that really needed to be played. But it wasn't that difficult to transition to make them to make them live ready. But as I said, a few of them really didn't. I don't, I don't know that we ever played Hope live. You know, and like you go back to Monster. We never played. We played King of Comedy maybe once or twice and realized it just doesn't work. And that's fine. Not every song needs to work live. Some of them are pure studio creations. Yeah. I mean, and what creations they were. I mean, you guys are having so much fun. There's harpsichord on Why Not Smile. And uh, I love all the organs on Parakeet, even more than when it first came out. I mean, I kept being amazed at how well the sound of this record has aged in 25 years. That is uh, due to a couple of things. Number one, Pat McCarthy, a great engineer as well as a great producer. And also, you know, it was our desire from the very beginning to make records, you know, we weren't thinking, oh, let's make timeless records. We weren't thinking quite that grandiosely, but we were thinking we do not want to make a record that dates itself. Yeah. Uh, even going back to the first two records, IRS 
who was a great label, and I do not disparage them in any way, but they leaned on Don Dixon and Mitch Easter to give it a more contemporary 80s sound. And Peter and I just rejected that utterly. We said, no, you, you cannot do that. We do not want to make a record that when you listen to it 20 years later, you go, oh, well, that was clearly made in 1984. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so a similar yeah. thing was going on with this record. You, you can use all of these machines and make it contemporary, but but try to keep it timeless. And, and that's just something we always strove for. I'm curious about the the growing pains of adapting to a, a three piece while you're in the studio. I mean, obviously, Bill's absence must have been keenly felt but what was what was most challenging for you uh, creatively and and emotionally uh in going into the studio and making this brand new thing with a brand new version of you well <laughs> bill was missed on on many levels uh one thing he was always good at was was editing he was always the one to tell us okay that's too long that's too much take take that out we don't need all that let's let's make it a little more succinct uh, so there was always a danger uh, of us going a little overboard without his without his overview. And of course, the other thing was, as I said, the balance, the interpersonal balance. Uh, you know, some people like to arrive early. Some people like to arrive late. And if there are two people that do those things, then, then it works out nicely. If there's only one person arriving early and sitting there on his thumbs waiting for the other two guys to show up, eh, that gets a little old. And so there were, you know, that's just one example of the of the band dynamics that that got shifted when we became a three piece. And it was uh, it was nearly fatal. You know, it it, we we had to have a serious sit down reassessment of, of why we were doing this and should we still keep doing it? And if we were going to keep doing it, we had to recommit not only to the record. I mean, not only to the band, but to each other as friends. And so we came through it even as a stronger band than we were, but it was a difficult process. Yeah, but in so many ways, I mean, it seems like you guys transformed as a band. Stuff that came after this, the songs and the, I mean, in many ways, it led to you becoming, I think, an even harder rocking band in live shows with the subsequent albums that followed. Well, I I think that's probably true. I I know that Walk Unafraid, when we did it live was just a pure rocker um it's it's it rocks a bit on the record but but when we did it live it just turned into this sort of raging uh fire which i really enjoyed and you know we didn't necessarily see that coming um you you play the songs and they and they turn into whatever it is they're going to become so that was a lot of fun to see to see that progression but did it make us a better band there's no question when you recommit yourself after you know 17 years of being a band uh it's a very healthy thing, and it gives you the, the fire you need to go forward. You know, here, here's, here's my favorite question. I love when you guys do these reissues of the albums. I think you and Stipe joined us when Automatic for the People's uh, Anniversary Edition came out, because it shows me that REM still exists, that you guys still are a thing, and you guys do this together. You are putting out these reissues together. And that makes me happy, because, uh, you know, I, I, I love the band, and to me, the band still exists in the present tense in that way. What's the process like, Mike, when you guys decide, hey, let's do a 25th anniversary for Up? Like, like, does someone initially have the idea? Does it come from a label person, or does one of you think of it? How, how does it snowball and, and build? How involved are the three of you? Well, you know, I will say that, that breaking up and disbanding in the way we did was the thing that's enabled us to keep doing the things that we're doing now. Uh, we, we walked away as friends with no, 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 you know, no personal problems, no drug problems, no lawyer problems, no, nobody suing anybody. And that has enabled us to, to have the foundation to continue to make REM 
you know, as relevant as, as you wish to describe it as being. As far as these reissues go, they're, they're um, we probably wouldn't have done that if it were just us, but record companies love it. And so when, at that point in our career, we said, OK, well, we can look back now. We've we've done enough to where we can actually sort of look back on things and, and reassess. And um, it's a lot of fun to 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 see how things sit now in the world as they as opposed to how they sat back then. In many cases, even, uh, you know, the remastering is really important. Technology has changed so much that you can do a lot of great things. I haven't heard it yet, but apparently the replacements Tim box set is just a world changer because of really? the remaster. You can hear things you, you couldn't hear before. And I'm excited to hear that. So, yeah. And, and so we the record companies love it when we do these things. And we say, OK, this is a way to to remind people of, the, of what we did and that we think it's pretty damn good. And and here's some extra content to make it a little more special than than just reissuing a record. Well, the the extra content is what makes it really wonderful for people who love this music. And um, I got to say, I love how you guys have put out more live records you did the best unplugged idea anyone ever did but putting two different unplugged appearances from different years back out together as a collection and my god i was so happy when you did it the 11 song live set on here that party of five thing it's so great to hear uh, i'm curious what was it like for you revisiting that one performance for that one weird little star-studded la live gig <laughs> it was a strange night you know it's uh I love I love Hollywood. I, I mean, I, I even have a place there. I spend a lot of time out there, but only so I can just sort of marvel at how strange it is. Um, yeah. You know, same. the whole world of television and film is bizarre. Yeah, I mean, if you think the music business is strange, you know, don't get into TV and, and film. Oh, it's, I got the scars <laughs> to prove it, man. I know <laughs> it's out there. So it was, it was just really fun to sort of insert ourselves into that. And uh and and do our thing within within their reality so uh it was just really funny to see how it blended and i enjoyed meeting all the, the folks from the show it was it was a cool time you know i always wanted to ask you 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 obviously have played some of the biggest stages in the world and and stadiums and arenas and and was there anyone i guess i was just watching the other day some youtube footage of uh the rock for change tour which is almost 20 years ago when you and were playing with springsteen every night and and some of the pairings on that tour were so inspiring my god no one ever got a better tour than john Kerry in 2004 but were there <laughs> yeah. ever any artists that you met that you were starstruck by I, I imagine you've met everyone at this point but was there anyone is there still anyone that that turns you into a fanboy oh uh well sure um, as a matter of fact, I just saw a show the other night, uh, the Psychedelic Furs opening for Squeeze. And, oh. you know, I've, I've known most of those guys off and on for longer than I care to say. I saw Squeeze. Squeeze's first show in the States was in Macon, Georgia in 1978 at Flaming Sally's Disco and Saloon. They were called UK Squeeze at that time. And of course, the Furs I've loved for years. So, so I mean, I was, I was almost crying. I was so happy at that show. Um, but, you know, meeting, meeting Neil Young and getting to play with him, uh, oh, yeah. we did the bridge school one year and, and he came out and did ambulance blues with us, which I don't know that he'd ever played live. And so to get Neil to come out and do that song with us was just, you know, astonishing. I don't know. I must've looked like a grinning idiot on stage because it was so much fun, but yeah, I mean, you get to do all these sorts of things and, you know, meeting met Nelson Mandela when we played at Trafalgar square, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's not a musician, but he sure is a rock star. Now, you were born in Orange County, right? You you moved to Georgia when you were a kid. 
Yeah, born in the city of Orange because uh, my dad was a Marine down at uh, Pendleton. So my mom came out to have me near him. And then when I was old enough to travel, we came back to Georgia. And was Bill Berry the first guy you met in Macon? No, but uh, he was a little further down the line. First guy I met was a guy named Walter Wolf, <laughs> which, which, uh, hello, Walter, if you're out there anywhere. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Bill and I met um, in the eighth grade and we hated each other. Actually, what happened was our, our guitar player <laughs> said, I met a guy and I said, let's form a band. He said, I know a drummer. And he brought the drummer in and I knew Bill from the eighth grade and I hated him because he was a juvenile delinquent and I was kind of a goody goody and we did not get along at all. And I saw him in my basement setting up the drums. I said, I'm out of here. And my buddy David Clark said, no, no, give him a chance, give him a chance. And then, you know, of course, very shortly we were best of friends. And then you went off to college in, in Athens. But I, I always, you know, REM is so associated with Athens. But I, I think of Macon, you know, and, and I just saw this documentary on, on Little Richard, who, you know, of course, was from there and made songs about Macon. Uh, I saw him do a original song about Macon at the bottom line in the 90s. And it's strange, like when you think about all the musical legends that came out of Macon, Georgia, I mean, you, you know, Richard and you guys and Otis Redding and I, I, the Allman Brothers as well. I mean, what is it about that one magical spot in Georgia that has led itself to so much creativity? I've been thinking about that for years. You know, I'm in I do. I wrote a concerto that I play with my friend Robert McDuffie, the the world renowned violinist who is also from Macon. Um, I, I wish I knew what it is about Macon, because it's an otherwise, especially in the 70s, it was an otherwise unremarkable place uh, that I couldn't wait to get the hell out of, frankly. But, um, you know, the one good thing about the music down there was it, it was in an otherwise racially polarized city. It was the one aspect where where black and white folks could get together. And, uh, you know, it, it just transcended race and animosity. Uh, there were even a couple of clubs that that you could play, you know, mixed race bands could play all that sort of thing in Macon, which was very, very rewarding. And, and it was truly the only really uplifting thing about Macon at that time. But I don't know why uh, why else a lot of great musicians would come from there. But I'm really glad they did. It's uh, it's just maybe it's the fact that it's literally in the middle of the state of Georgia. That might have something to do with it. Yeah. Mike, you're on a press tour now, obviously, for this re-release. So I'm not going to ask you the obnoxious question about when are you guys going to have a reunion or play together or do something. But I do want to ask you about how often you're asked that question, because I would imagine you have to be very diplomatic and tactful. It's been 12 years since I view 2011 as the worst year in rock, personally, because that was the year that you guys broke up, LCD Sound System broke up, White Stripes broke up, and New Kids on the Block toured with Backstreet Boys. To me, that's the year the music died. Um, but is it relentless? Are you always in every interview asked this obligatory question of would you guys ever record again? Blah, 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 blah? Like, I, I don't care. I'm glad you're happy. But what's it like having the grace to navigate that? Well, it's a, it's a legitimate question. And no, I don't mind being asked. I mean, as a fan, I always hoped the Beatles would reunite. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, even back when that was still possible, I, I wished that could happen. Um, so I certainly understand it as a, as a music fan. Um, and I no, I don't mind being asked. I, it's it's the sort of thing that there are plenty of reasons to do it, but there are plenty of reasons not to do it. We, we kind of enjoy being the one band that that said it and has so far lived up to it. Um, it's it's an easy temptation to get back into it, whether it's for money or for uh, attention or just to play with your friends. And that would be the main reason we did it was just to play uh, play music with my dear friends again. But but I think we're also really happy with the way it is. Everybody's at peace with the decision we made. And I don't see any reason at this point to change that. 
Right on. Last question then. Um, you're so great on politics. I love how you use the capital of your fame to fight against fascism, to fight for the least of us. What's giving you hope at a time like this when there are such divisions in the world and in this country and within the political parties? Oof, uh, you know, I'm getting a little less sanguine about things, John. I, I, uh, I, I worry more than I ever did before, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I see I see the fascism and the authoritarianism in America, well, all over the world, certainly, but especially here. One of the last places I expected to see so many people embracing uh, that kind of right wing control. And it, it just speaks to the difficulty of of having a, a democracy, the difficulty of running a country this big. People get afraid. They feel left behind. They turn to someone who promises them strength and and peace and power and all those things. And and they accept it without thinking of the baggage that's coming along with that. And so uh, the only way to fight that, I think, is education. You and I and yep. people like us to keep speaking out. And and I don't intend to stop. And and. Uh, you know, we just have to make sure there, there are more right thinking people in the world than there are wrong thinking. And we just have to make sure that our voices are heard. Amen. I believe in high turnouts in a democracy for voting. Uh, Mike right. Mills, it's always great to see you. Next time we're both in Hollywood at the same time, drinks on me. Everyone needs to do your ears a favor and get the 25th anniversary edition of REM's Up. It's gorgeous. Just wait till you hear the 11 song live performance from the Party of Five show. It really is just a sonic wonder and a really special part of this band's catalog. Mike Mills, I'm so glad you're well. Thank you for joining us on SiriusXM. My pleasure, John. Good to speak with you again. Thank you. Thank you.